Would you please pray with me? Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we have not gathered here for nothing. We have gathered here for an encounter with a living God so that we might be living people. I pray for us and for our nation, whether we are excited about the outcome or not, whether we're excited about the first woman to ever hold office, first woman of color to hold that high an office, or whether we are despondent because our team lost. I pray that you would call your people to repentance, that our unity would lead the nation, that we would shine in the midst of uh, our national division as those who love one another anyway, just as you have loved us. For how can we be creditors when we've been forgiven of so great a debt? Please may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight this day, O rock and our redeemer forever. Amen. So it's my, uh, my pleasure to be uh, uh, off the junior varsity bench again uh, and, and sharing God's word with you this morning. I, um, it's also a, a pleasure and a privilege to, to have my father here. Uh, the, the theme of th- these scriptures and our hymns for today seems to be, uh, don't gloat over me, my enemy, for I will rise. Um, uh, my father, Bob Cairns, lost his wife, my mother, uh, on February 3rd of this year, and thankfully we got her memorial service in uh, right before the lockdown, and we had a bunch of senior citizens coming and going from that memorial service because um, it's in a, it was in a retirement community's uh, memorial uh, chapel. Uh, so, nobody got COVID coming or going, not that I know of. Do you know of anybody? Nobody. I mean, lots of seniors. I mean, my parents' peers, all their friends came. Um, it was the most packed uh, the chaplain there had ever seen the chapel. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because my mother fought the fight, kept the faith, and finished her race and stewarded her talents, her spiritual gifting, uh, very well. Um, I, I confess that uh, I love watching YouTube and Facebook videos of America's Got Talent. I confess that I don't use Twitter much. Um, you may have seen the meme go by recently that YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook ought to be combined to become you twit face. <laughs> so it's either Facebook or YouTube that has gotten me to watch these amazing golden buzzer audition moments. Anybody else watch this stuff? Uh, go, I just, I'm a sucker for these golden buzzer moments on America's Got Talent. Um, Someone believed in that person enough to get them to this moment when 
they wander out onto stage with the idea that it's going to go well. We don't get to see all the hard work and the failure that leads to that moment, but then bursting forth sometimes from tiny little shy children comes this extraordinary talent that has been given to previously unheard of nobodies. The hope of each contestant is that they will get a sufficient number of yes votes, including from Simon Cowell. But sometimes a talent is so extraordinary or an act so unique that one of the judges gives the man or woman, boy or girl, a golden buzzer that sends the person straight on from their first audition to the live show. Golden confetti comes streaming down in slow motion to moving music that grips your heart. And the contestant is in shock or even in tears. Their mother comes running out onto the stage to hug their child or Howie Mandel or a husband to hug a wife and or Heidi Klum. And in that magical moment, I cry every time. Now, why does this happen to me? Now, granted, I might cry during a Hallmark commercial or movie, so it's not unprecedented. It's not that unprecedented. But I think something else is going on. I have a hunger to be judged as having done well. And it's not so much about the applause, but about the affirmation. Not so much by others, although that is nice, but my own inner hunger to be affirmed that I've done a good job. I also like my wife's affirmation, uh, I have to confess. Um, she, I, I care about her affirmation more than, than most, uh, but she withholds it a lot because she says I was a very overly affirmed child. Uh, not that my father didn't affirm me, but my mother was very, very uh, affirming of her children and sent us out into the world with all kinds of confidence. Not so much with sin and righteousness, though. This hunger in all of us is deeply rooted for us to do a, God, do a good job, be judged and affirmed. Breaks down when we look at the difference between sin and righteousness. When we look at ourselves, we see sin. When we look at God, we see righteousness. There's nothing in us, of us, or by us to affirm. We don't want to be judged according to our own deeds or that which comes naturally to us, gifts or talents, in the natural state in which we find ourselves riddled with sin, self-focus, impure thoughts, unkind words, and selfish deeds. Those of us who are in Christ are even more knowledgeable about the pollution and corruption of our sin because the Holy Spirit by whom we are indwelt convicts us of our sin and empowers us to live into the greatest truth and the greatest good news. Jesus Christ, the righteous, has clothed us in His own righteousness. So we don't boast in our own righteousness, we boast in His. We boast in our weakness, Paul says. For if in the judgment we were to walk out onto the stage before the audience of the saints and martyrs, the prophets and leaders of Israel and the church, we would be ashamed and embarrassed at our meager efforts to contribute to the sea of good works 
that had been prepared for us to walk in. But we chose the temporal pleasures of this world rather than participating in the advance of the kingdom. And there, naked for all to see, would be our shame, our buried talent, our underutilized spiritual gifts, and the sword of the Spirit that we did not take up. And there, like Simon Cowell scowling at us with a resurrection set of shining white teeth, would be Jesus. Except that's not what happens. Rather, we are promised that the golden buzzer will be pressed for each of us. However meager our effort to contribute to the kingdom, however hidden our talent, however unobserved our offerings, our sacrifice of praise will be celebrated with a roar from the saints and our sin forgotten like the auditions of the sad who have no hope. We have a hope that is not of this world. It is a hope of which Paul and Timothy did not want the Thessalonians to be ignorant. It is a hope of which Paul and Timothy did not want us to be ignorant. Because those who have no hope for tomorrow live for the anesthetic available today, whether they are keenly aware of it or oblivious. And those who have no hope for life after death, who have no hope in the resurrection of Jesus being offered to all who will bend the knee of their heart, declare Him Lord and be baptized into His death, The only people more to be pitied are those of us who have heard this gospel and go on living as those who have no hope, tempted by the world, the flesh, and the devil to take the blue pill instead of the red pill. You know what I'm talking about here? The matrix, blue pill, red pill? Uh, Pastors seem to love that, uh, that metaphor, and I'm using it too. So we're tempted by the world, the flesh, and the devil to take the blue pill instead of the red pill, to go on living in blissful ignorance of pain and loss, suffering, hard knocks that may come precisely because we have given up control over our lives to a Lord and Savior who is other than us. We see this all around us in our culture, people who, even those who consider themselves to be Christians, living as though they have no hope. It is one thing for people to exhibit this lack of hope who have never heard the gospel. This stands to reason. Paul says he does not want the Thessalonians continuing to live unknowledgeable about this key fact of the resurrection. I had a friend recently after Easter a uh, guy I'd been having coffee with for about a year when we were at Fort Rucker, and he, he texted me, and he said, I believe in the resurrection, exclamation point. I texted him back, that's a big deal. Without this key fact that those who have fallen asleep and are falling asleep, when the bill, blue pill choice we thought we had covered our eyes with gets confronted by life's red pill of whatever devastating circumstances, we might go under in our grief if it wasn't for our hope. And we don't even have the resiliency of those who are of our brothers and sisters who live in the developing world. <laughs> we have a grief about first world problems, the equivalent of pinky toe hangnails in comparison. We don't even wait for the death of loved ones to grieve over the loss of a preferred future. 
because we have such limited vision. As Jeff said in a sermon recently, we have put the death of loved ones at a distance, literally and figuratively, so that we don't have to see it. It's important for pastors not to make political statements. But death and taxes with a Biden administration, you can expect it. Death is coming for us all. So what are our expectations? Where is our hope really rooted? American expectations have turned to entitlements, deeply rooted in a mess, a meal, a stew of this world's pottage, porridge, gruel. And if we're not careful, our hope for goodies around the corner will be ground into the dust from which we came and to which we are returning. I remember a co-worker years and years ago, and I happened to be in the room, when she got the news that a friend of her had died kayaking in New Zealand. And I heard her part of the conversation, oh, so the kayak rolled over and got wedged, and he didn't come up again. I wrote a song about it. It's on my, my album, Listening to That Friend. It was clearly the first person she had ever been close to that she had lost to this falling asleep that Paul talks about. It was so disruptive to her life because she was a transcendental existentialist. I made that phrase up. This is Someone who only transcended her existence by hoping something good was coming around the corner of her life. If it was a bad day, she hoped tomorrow would be a good day. If it was a good day, she hoped tomorrow would be a better day without pain or sorrow. And this is a very emotional roller coaster way of living. And it's no way for a Christian to live. It is precisely the opposite expectation that we should have of this life. We should expect that the worlds will be the worlds and that there will be trouble and hatred for Jesus' followers in particular. Now, this may be a red pill moment for you, but I doubt it. It's hard to sit under Jeff's biblical teaching for very long. His is the red pill every Sunday, week in, week out. He's very vigilant about making certain that the members of this congregation have no illusions about hope coming from anywhere in this world, laying just around the corner in the next election. The good news about getting the red pill is that imagine what it is going to be like for people who have sought out churches that give out the blue pill, coddling with pleasantries, and I'm doing fines, even better than the Joneses, that kind of preaching, blue pill preaching. Whether it's your best life now malarkey or the works righteousness piffle, we have no hope, not in family, not in friends, not in politicians, not even in democracy, not in creature comforts, not in nip and tuck. We are going down to dust. Now, how in the world is this good news? Well, the good news is that those who have gone before us investigated the utter meaninglessness of everything under the sun, and they too have discovered that without God the Creator, this is all just stupid vanity, a chasing after the wind. 
Our good news is not of this world. He, our good news, He is God with us. He is holy other. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy other than His creation and His creatures. A holy, H-O-L-Y, a holy God has thrown in His lot with a holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, unholy, U-N-H-O-L-Y, a holy, unholy people. A holy God has thrown in His lot with a holy, unholy people. And we may spend eternity just wondering the why of that and being astonished at His generosity, His grace, and His mercy. I wouldn't be as merciful, I have to tell you. I'd be like Tim in Monty Python with the lightning bolts coming out of his fingers. <laughs> Instead of, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, bye-bye, <laughs> bye-bye. It'd be nice to have like an etern- eternal eject button for some people, you know, the sky's just open and bye-bye. But not so with God. A holy, holy God with a holy, unholy people that He has made righteous because of His Son's sacrifice. God with us. Whether we are in want or plenty, He is with us. Whether we are in joy or sorrow, He is with us. Whether we are running in fear for our lives in a civil war or resting in a hammock by a lake, He is with us. Do we still not see? Do we not perceive? Emmanuel, He has come. He has died. He has risen. And so shall we. Our gospel, our good news, changes everything in this world. Now, we can deal with anything dealt out by the world, the flesh, or the devil, whether we're Christians struggling against sin to the point of shedding blood in the country of Bhutan, or whether we are living lives of comfort in the suburbs of a quiet and peaceful city, just raising our children, taking them to soccer games. Followers of Jesus can handle anything because we have already given up everything into His hands. Have you given up everything into His hands? Have I? Or do we like to maintain some illusion of control? I mentioned Bhutan because I was on a mission trip to Uganda uh, several years ago, expressly for the purpose of of evangelism. And uh, a bunch of Presbyterians went to an Anglican diocese to train Anglicans how to do door-to-door evangelism, which I thought was just weird, because sometimes Calvinists are, you know, saving seats in the sanctuary for the elect to show up, and that's their only evangelism methodology. So here you have these Presbyterians teaching Anglicans how to go door-to-door. It was a great trip. And, and uh, our, our leader had us pull out our Bibles every day, so we'd pull out our Bibles. And the reason I mentioned Bhutan is because there was one of our number who was from there. And we pulled out our Bibles for the first time just to study the Bible in Uganda, and he started weeping. 
And I said, what, what's up? What's going on? And he said, well, we can't study the Bible in Bhutan. This was his first Bible study. They're not allowed to sing praises in Bhutan. They're not allowed to gather for the purposes of worship in Bhutan together. And you know what he does when he goes back to Bhutan? He spreads the gospel anyway. We got dusty Bibles on shelves that need to pulling it off, getting together, and speaking to one another these words of comfort, as Paul tells us to. Speak to one another with hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. And don't be ignorant of the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead, and you will be too. And those who are falling asleep will awaken and join with us in the air. Now, some people think that's, you know, about revelation and rapture. I don't know. I don't pretend to know. I don't know whether I'm pre-trib or post-trib or a thousand years here or a thousand years. I don't know. I think maybe, you know, it's fun, more fun for others to speculate on all of that. I think maybe it's kind of like that machine in the bowling alley that picks up the pins that are still standing, you know, raises them up for a second, wipes it clean, restores and redeems all thing, things, new creation comes, and in the flesh, in risen bodies, we will see God. And it should kill us, but for Christ's imputed righteousness. So this guy from the Bhutan went back and was spreading the gospel anyway. What are we doing? With our freedom to assemble, with our freedom to dig into the Scriptures together, dearly paid for by generations of faithful veterans. Veterans Day is coming up this week. And it's sort of appropriate to be an army chaplain who was um, ordained on Veterans Day 14 years ago. What are we doing? Are we doing anything? Is life just a poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage until he is heard no more? Is this all just a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing? Are our expectations and hopes rooted in the empty promises promulgated by those who have enticed us by the lies of the devil, whether wrapped in the shiny packaging and tastes of Turkish delight, or outright evil baldly parading in the streets? What is your expectation? What is mine? Jesus, the King, who is pouring His kingdom into this creaturely realm, has come, is with us, and is coming again to establish His rule and reign. And He is the measure. He is the plumb line. Not pretty good, but perfect. What will the saints roar about you when you finish on stage having played out this life? Meager efforts, dusty Bibles, living masked lives in our basements for fear of an army or a crazy person with a knife? What's the alternative? Well, I'll tell you. And I'm going to keep on telling you as long as I'm here. 
We are people of the uncomfortable truth that our hope is not reliant on this world. And that makes us dangerous. Because a righteous, all-powerful God who has saved us from going permanently down to death, who rose and in whom we too shall rise, who is with us inseparably, well, now that comes with a certain kind of fearlessness, doesn't it? The keys of the kingdom, not a Ferrari, the kingdom. The resources and the spiritual power of heaven available to us. Spiritual gifts with a spiritual potency, with eternal consequence. But best of all, the satisfaction of our spiritual hunger to cure us from slavery to our soul and body's cravings. Now the saints and the martyrs and the prophets and the leaders of Israel in the church will roar with delight like a golden buzzer moment as Jesus puts a frame around whatever it is you've done to contribute to the kingdom and your sins will be forgotten. But what will that frame be around? We don't have to work for our salvation. We simply receive it as a matter of grace. And now we have the opportunity in a free country to worship Him without fear. And commit His works to our hands, not because we need to do it to achieve salvation, but because of our gratitude for what He's done for us. What will be framed around your golden buzzer moment? I ask you this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.